Well, good afternoon. Uh, I know a lot of your faces, and I'm excited to be here at this workshop. And this workshop is entitled Victory in Relationships. So my name is Ileana, and um, let's pray before we start. Father, thank you so much for this, just this retreat this weekend, Lord, where we've been able to purpose to get away to seek you. Lord, thank you for Jean McClure and the teachings that she brought us and everything that she shared with us. And Lord, I know that you have even more for us even now, Lord. So I pray that um, during this time we could just open our hearts to you, Lord, that we could receive what you have for us, Lord, and that we would go deeper with you, God, as a result of this time that we have to share. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So during this workshop together, I have really three goals in mind. One is to um, teach you why relationships matter so much to us. Uh, number two to discuss what kind of friends we need, what kind of people we need, what kind of relationships we need. And then thirdly, what kind of people we need to be in those relationships. So when Alicia asked me to share on relationships, I was a little bit worried um, and on friendship and all of that because recently um, I've kind of been on a little bit on a rant about COVID lockdowns and isolation and churches closing and people being so comfortable on their couches and nobody getting together. It was almost like getting together was risky, right? It was almost like, you know, feeding your relationships and tending to your relationships and fostering your relationships and being together with other people uh, was dangerous, you know? Um, so I was, I was afraid people became very isolated. Technology hasn't helped, right? Technology kind of started that. And then COVID put that thing on steroids and it became really like worrisome for me as just as a person in our community and, and a mom and a grandma and, and a person at the church, I was so concerned. Um, because I think that the virtual world gives us a false sense of community. It gives us a false sense of friendship. It gives us a false sense of relationship. So I'm going to do my best to not be on a rant about that. And I'm going to do my best to stay, um, to stay with non-virtual friendships. We're going to talk about real friendships. Okay. So in the New Testament, we hear this term, one another, a whole lot right? Um, the Lord gives us a series of commands. For example, in Galatians chapter 6, he says, bear one another's burdens. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, he says, encourage one another and build one another up. 1 Peter 4.9, be hospitable to one another. Galatians 5.13, serve one another. In a dozen other places, right, we hear love one another. Romans 15, 7, accept one another. Colossians 3, 13, forgive one another. 
Do you realize, ladies, what it takes to do these commandments? It takes one another. It takes another. It takes each other. We need each other to fulfill that which God has for us. So I hope you're not uncomfortable because maybe you're the kind of person that's an independent woman. You're, you have an independent streak. You like your alone time. Um, but I'm going to tell you very honestly, as believers, we're not meant to be isolated. We're not meant to do this alone. We need each other. Um, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, it says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. So why does Jesus give us a minimum of two or three? Have you ever wondered that? I did. Why not just one? The answer is simple. You're not made to go at it alone. You're not made to go at this life alone. You're meant to do ministry, to do life with Jesus, with one another. So let's be honest. Relationships are hard work. Relationships require time, right? They require investment. They require sacrifice, patience. Relationships are risky. They are. People hurt each other, right? People hurt each other unintentionally and intentionally sometimes. Relationships can be messy. I think we'll agree that not all relationships are equal. I can say this, though. All healthy, godly relationships have this friendship element to them. Um, everywhere from marriage to parent-child to siblings to friends, I think the basis for all of them is a friendship, right? It's a, a mutual affection that you have for one another. It's an admiration, a respect, a loyalty that we call friendship. But again, not all friendships are created equal. Not all friendships are the same. For a moment, let's just picture four concentric circles. Concentric, concentric meaning one inside the other, right? Four of them. I think we can all picture four concentric circles. The inner circle, the smallest circle, is the one that I'll call our intimacy circle. Typically, you might have one person in that circle. Max, I don't know. I mean, I can't put a limit on it, but I can't imagine five. I can't. I mean, that's a small circle, right? These are the people in your life that are closest to you. These are the people that finish your sentences, right? These are the people that know you well. And these are the people that you know well. These are the people that you spend a lot of time with. And even if you don't spend a lot of time with, if you don't spend a lot of time, you pick up where you left off, right? Think about those people in your lives. It might be a sibling. It might be your husband, right? It might be a coworker. It might be a best friend. You all have someone in that inner circle. The second circle, that's your circle of influence. This is the circle 
that includes people that exercise certain influence in your life and you exercise influence in their lives. Um, this might be your mom, right? Your mom might not be in your small circle, but maybe in that second circle. This might be, again, a friend, a coworker, a relative. Then there's the third circle, a circle of interest. Here are people that you know and that you care about. You care for them, right? Um, they're not necessarily that close to you, but if something's going on in their life, you want to help, right? You want to be a part of their, of their life. Um, this might be a cousin. You might have, um, someone at church in that circle, right? And then lastly, you have that largest circle, that largest circle. I'm going to call it since I went with, I went with intimacy, influence, interest. I thought, it's not a great word, but it's all I could come up with. I called it insubstantial, not because the people in it are insubstantial, but right now your relationship to them is insubstantial. This might be a Facebook friend. It might be somebody that you see uh, a security guard at your job that you say hello, you say goodbye, you know nothing about them, but they're people that, that you know, you know. Um, maybe an old high school friend from, from a long time ago. Um, but right now there's no common ground for a closer friendship. And I think that we can all see how our lives and our friendships are in those circles. And you can probably place your friends in their place. We also know that friends don't stay in their circles. Depending on situations, right, seasons in your life, someone can move from an outside right into the center at the drop of a hat, right? When there's something that happens and that brings that person in, right? People can move in that relationship. But for now, take a moment. Let's take a moment and think about that inner circle, that, that inner circle that you have. Again, it may be someone related to you, maybe by marriage, or maybe a blood relative, or just really close friends. Um, someone that the Lord has knit your hearts together. Um, you guys remember in the kindergarten playground, do you remember doing this? <laughs> or, right, do you remember doing that? Everybody did that. Or how about this one, in elementary school, writing your name, your other friend's name, and your third friend's name, and labeling it Biffle. B-F-F-L. What does that stand for? Best friends for life. Why do our friendships matter? Why do those people in that inner circle matter so much? Why do they matter? Why do our friendships matter? I'm going to give you two reasons why our friendships really matter. Number one, friendships really matter because we were created for that. We were created for that close fellowship, and friendship with someone else. And number two, friendship matters because it's going to make us who we are. People in that inner circle make us who we are. So if you could open up to John chapter 15, let's look at verses 9 through 17. And here Jesus is speaking about friendship. So John 15, verse 9, 
Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and I remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. And if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have been made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This passage is all about friendship, and J Jesus uses the word friend three times in this passage. Whenever he talks about love in this passage, he's talking about that love between friends. <clears throat> Notice that in this passage, Jesus states that he loves us as the Father loves him. Jesus invites us into this love relationship with him. Think about it. One God has existed as a Father, Son, and Spirit, bound in a friendship since eternity. You see, ladies, friendship was never created. It's not something that was created. It's part of his eternal nature. In this triune God that we love and adore. There's never been a time in all of eternity that friendship was not there. You and I were created in his image. You and I are created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And as image bearers of God, we were made also to experience meaningful, intimate friendships. Jesus gives us a glimpse into what a godly friendship looks like. Let's go back to our text, John 15, uh, go to verse 15. It says, no longer do I call you servants, for servants don't know what the master is doing, but I call you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I make known to you. Jesus is inviting us to enter an intimate friendship. Servants don't know the hearts of their masters. They just obey orders. But Jesus says, but I've wanted more from you. Not just servants who obey. I want you to share in my life in my joy, in my thoughts, in my heart, in my pain. I want to fellowship, to walk together. The Hebrew word for friendship is the same word for secret. God wants us to enter into his center circle. I'm just going to say that again because that blows my mind, that God wants us to enter into that intimate circle and be his intimate friend. Mm -hmm. 
God wants that. A friend is someone you can let into that secret place of your heart. Incidentally, God can have a lot of people in his center circle, but we can't. There's just not that much room. We don't have the capacity to have that many in our central circle. We can't be there for everybody all the time, right? We, um, we don't have that much room, but we do need we do need to have somebody. We need to have that center circle, the people that God places in there. <clears throat> it's a vulnerable place, right? It's an intimate place. Do you have a close godly friend? Again, it might be your husband. It might not be your husband. You might be in a room full of people and still be extremely lonely and not have a close friend. Or maybe you've guarded and shielded yourself from people that God has brought by your side and you don't let them in. Do you prefer to keep things superficial with everybody? Do you prefer to keep everybody at arm's length? Do you maybe think that, oh, this need that you have for a friendship makes you weak? It doesn't. It doesn't. The need that you have for close, intimate relationship and friendship makes you godlike. It makes you godly. And God wants to not only be in your center circle, but he wants to bring someone into your life that is going to be that godly friend. So like Jesus, a true friend will be loyal. Let's look again at John chapter 15. He says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for, for his friends. You are my friends, you who do what I commanded you. Jesus was so committed to his friends, that's you and me, that he would go to hell and back literally for us. He laid down his life. There's nothing that could make him turn away from that which was his goal. There was no burden too heavy for him to bear. There was no offense he wouldn't forgive for his friends. By the way, this is one of the absolute distinctive things about our faith, Christianity. Other religious leaders like Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, they never related to followers that way. They gave their sayings for people to follow, but they didn't enter relationship with their followers. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Um, Jesus left himself behind in the person of the Holy Spirit. He gave himself to us to have fellowship with him. This is why friendship matters to us. This is why it's so important that we cultivate friendship in our lives. The second reason why it matters is, and I, I told you this before, but not only were we made for friendship, but friendship makes us. Um, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. It says, he that walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. According to this verse, the one factor that determines how your life turns out is with whom you choose to walk. 
Those of you that speak Spanish will know this one. My grandmother used to always tell me, Dime con quien andas y te diré quien eres. I, I'm a middle school teacher, and I will, I see it all, and this isn't in my notes, but I, I see it, I see it all too often. I will see a child start a school year, um, sweet as pie, diligent student, wonderful, and just make one wrong friend and turn around to where I have a, a mom crying. What do I do? What can I do? Where's my daughter? What happened to her? And it's that wrong friend that they choose to walk with. Um, if you were out drinking and partying last night, chances are people in your circle were drinking and partying last night too. If you're seeking the Lord with all of your heart, chances are people in that close circle are also seeking the Lord with all of their hearts. Look, we all have something we want to become, right? Maybe you want to be a more loving parent or a more devoted wife. Maybe you want to be a more diligent student, a more conscientious worker. Maybe you want to be more surrendered, surrendered follower of Christ. You are one friend away from being that. Allow someone into your life that can really pour in, right? But by the same token, you're one friend away from not becoming what you really know you want, right? Depending on who you choose. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Make sure that the people in your life, in your, in your circle, are strong believers. The truth of the matter is that you will become like them and they will become more like you. 2 Corinthians 6.14, I know you guys know this one. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? Ladies, we're made for friendship, and friendships can make us. On a side note, if you have young children, ladies, Pray, pray that the Lord would bring the right friends. Keep an eye on their friends. Let them know they don't need a lot of them. They do need some, but not a lot of them. And make sure that they're equally yoked. It's really, really important. Their friends will influence them more than you will. Their friends will influence them more than any sermon or youth group. Their friends will be a huge influence on them. So, again, um, we're made for friendship, and friendships make us. So, since that's settled, let's look at the life of David. I want to look at three friends, three types of friends that David had in his life. And these are the kinds of friends that we want. And these are the kinds of friends that we want to be. We want these friends and we want to be these friends. So friend type number one is Samuel. Samuel, the prophet. I'm going to call him the crown bestower. He's the crown bestower. So if you remember, God had revealed to Samuel that 
um, he would go to the house of Jesse and he was going to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king of Israel. And if you remember the story, Jesse brings out all his sons except one. And Samuel went through going, not you, no, not you, no, not you. And is there another one? Because God told me to do this. Well, yeah, there's David, but he's uh, the, the shepherd kid. What, like, well, bring him. Sure enough, David was to be the next king of Israel. And Samuel, the crown bestower, had the eyes of God. He saw in David what his own dad didn't see, right? He saw him as the next king of Israel, and he anointed him to be the next king of Israel. And he held that crown over his head and urged him to grow into it. Do you have friends like that, that see you? Not like you are, but like God sees that you will become, right? Do you have a friend that will encourage you? Do you have a friend that will that will hold up that crown over your head and say, go for it, go for it. You can do X, Y, or Z. You can be a strong follower, a disciple. You can evangelize. You can do the right things. Do you have friends like that? Friend type number two, the faithful companion. That's Jonathan. Jonathan and David were best friends during their teenage years. If you remember, Jonathan is Saul's son. And Saul was the king of Israel at the time. And we know that Saul became very jealous of David. Um, yet Jonathan had such a faithful friendship with David that he risked his own life several times when David needed encouragement. It's remarkable when you think about the fact that David's ascension to the throne of Israel came at a great cost to him, right? He should have been the next king of Israel, Jonathan, as the son of Saul. Yet he knew that was not that it was David that God had called. Do you have a friend like Jonathan? Are you a friend like Jonathan? Are you a faithful companion? So in 1 Samuel 23, 18, Jonathan arose and went to David at Horesh, and he strengthened, strengthened David's hand in the Lord. Jonathan had heard David was discouraged. He got up and walked 30 miles to encourage his friend. A faithful companion is a person that walks in when everybody else is walking out. A faithful companion says to you, I'm not just going to pray with you. I mean, for you, I'm going to pray with you, right? A faithful companion shares your pain and makes your pain their own. Ladies, do you have a faithful companion? Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says, uh, 9 through 11 says, two are better than one. For if they fall, I will lift up his, if one falls, I will lift up his companion, but woe to him who's alone. For if he falls, he has no one to help him up again. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Proverbs 18.24 says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer 
than a brother. Ladies, we need a faithful companion in our lives. Again, this might be your husband. This might be a friend, a close friend, a childhood friend. This might be your sibling, your sister. And we also need to be faithful companions to somebody in our lives. So friend type number one was the crown bestower. Friend type number two is the faithful companion. So we have Samuel, we have Jonathan, and in David's life, he had a third type of friend. And this is the tough one, right? I'm going to call him the loyal wounder, and that was Nathan. That was Nathan. Later on in his life, we know that he got involved with Bathsheba. He got involved with murder. He tried covering everything up. It was destroying him on the inside. And God sent Nathan to tell David the truth. I do want to turn here. Let's all turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. It says, the Lord sent Nathan, that loyal wounder, right, to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little, one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and he grew up with him and his children. He shared food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. He was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you a master's house to you and your master's wives to you. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despise me. You took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own, and this is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives. Give them to the one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but... I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan is that loyal wounder. He didn't sugarcoat David's sin. He didn't excuse David's sin. He has post-traumatic king disorder. No, he didn't. Nathan is brutally honest with David. Not only about the severity of his sin, but about the consequences that would come due to his sin. 
When was the last time you had a friend who loved you enough to tell you, hey, hey, that's a dumb decision. Hey, don't do that. You're going to ruin your, your, your career or you're going to ruin your marriage or you're going to ruin your family life. When have you had a loyal wounder in your life or when were you in a position to be able to bring someone to the point to see they're not doing the right thing. Ladies, we need those friends. And how do you respond? When somebody does confront you, how do you respond? It might make you mad, but it'll save your life. It will. Proverbs 27 says, 6 says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Kisses always feel better than wounds. And if you only have people around you, around you who give you kisses, life might feel good for a little while, but you will destroy yourself. I need and you need a Nathan in your life. You must think about that close circle of friends that you have, and you must deputize someone to be that Nathan in your life. How is your inner circle? Do you have deep quality friends? Do you tend to your friendships? We're so busy, ladies. We're so busy. What I have found is that the quality of our friendships horizontally depend on our vertical friendship with the Lord. The power for all relationships comes from the strength of our relationship to Jesus. And ladies, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Ladies, he is the crown bestower. He is your loyal, faithful companion. And he is the loyal wounder in your life. He is your ultimate friend. Just like Samuel, that saw what God saw in David and anointed this young shepherd boy to be the next king of Israel, Jesus looks at me, he looks at you, and he says, you're a sinner, but I call you a saint. He says, you're dead, but I declare you to be alive. He says, you're not my people, but I've made you my people. Your name is wrath, your name is failure, your name is judgment, but I call you mercy and I call you a trophy of grace. I call you more than a conqueror and useful for my service. Ladies, what a friend we have in Jesus. He holds up that crown and encourages us to be that royal priesthood that he calls us to be. Even more of a faithful companion than Jonathan was to David, Jesus served us at even a greater personal cost. So I told you earlier, Jonathan traveled 30 miles, right, to encourage David when he was discouraged. But Jesus traveled the gap between deity and humanity. Philippians chapter 2 
verses 6 through 8 says this, who being in the form of God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Jonathan gave up his right to the palace to help David get in. Jesus purchased our place in the kingdom of heaven with his own blood. He took our sins. He took our sorrows. He is the most faithful companion. And he walks with us through every difficulty in our lives. John 11. I know you guys are familiar with this account. It's it's um it's after Jesus delays in coming to visit Martha and Mary because Lazarus was sick and then he wound up dying. And if you pick up with me on verse 17, it says, So when Jesus came, he found he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were there in the house comforting her saw that Mary had risen up early and went out, followed her, saying, she's going to go to the tomb and weep there. Then when Mary came to where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. What? What is happening here? Ladies, Jesus is such a faithful companion. Je we know the story. Jesus had already told Martha he was going to rise again. A few verses later, what does he do? He calls out to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out tripping on his grave clothes and he's brought back to life. But Jesus is weeping here with Mary. He doesn't minimize her pain. He doesn't 
just say, ah, oh, get over it, Mary, stop it. It'll be all right. Get over it. Let's go. Move on. Come on. Let's go. He doesn't do that. It says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, and he wept. Ladies, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have. So he's our crown bestower. He's our faithful companion. And he's also our loyal wounder. We know that without repentance, we cannot receive forgiveness. We know that the Lord has to convict us of our sin. We know that we have to hear that we have a need of a Savior, that there's nothing in us that can bring us and restore us into that relationship with the Father, that it's only through repentance and receiving of the Savior. Nathan obeyed the Lord, doing a difficult thing, right? He confronted David with his sin. And Jesus, he also did the difficult thing. He loves us enough to confront us too. Once sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, he could have ignored us, annihilated us, and moved on. But he didn't. He didn't. He sent the patriarchs. He sent the prophets. And when the time had come, Jesus was born to Mary, lived the perfect life. And um, even when he was despised and reviled, he did the hard thing. He gave up his life on the cross of Calvary. And even now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the church is birthed to carry out this glorious gospel. Because just like Nathan was the loyal wounder, Jesus wants to be the loyal wounder that comes and tells us, repent of your sin, and then gives us a restored relationship with God. Truly, 1 John 4, 19, we've been hearing this verse at church so very much, but it's just such an amazing truth. We love him because he first loved us. Ladies, what a friend we have in Jesus. Only when Jesus is that main person in my center circle can I let anyone else in. Ladies, we... Um, we get hurt and we build up walls. We um, bring our past relationships sometimes and we lose the ability to be vulnerable with other people. Do you ever wonder why? Do you ever wonder why it's not easy sometimes to let someone in? I suspect that there's two reactions we're afraid of. We're either afraid they're going to yawn or walk away. Either they're going to get to know you a little bit and think you are boring, or you're a mess, one or the other. But once we have Jesus, once we have Jesus, who's way more important than any person who has accepted us as we are and who will never leave us, that gives us the boldness and the confidence to be vulnerable with other people. 
that bold confidence um, can be ours, especially in John 15, we had read this earlier, where it says, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You see, Jesus did not make his, we didn't make his friends list because we were righteous. He didn't choose the popular rich cool kids to be his friends, right? I wouldn't be on there. <laughs> Unlike Disney, Disney movies, right? When you look at the, oh, under the dirty layer, you see someone beautiful on, on behind the dirty layer. No, when he looks under the dirty layer, there's even more filth, right, in us. But yet he chose us, ladies. He chose us anyway. And once we know that, and once we're confident in that, we can let people in. And we can be that friend to others, too. We don't have to be afraid of Jesus discovering something new about us and rejecting us. He knows it all. He already sees us, and he sees our brokenness, and he sees everything that we are, and he chose us anyway. That unconditional intimate friendship gives us, again, that ability to be vulnerable with others. Here's what I've learned. It isn't until we can be honest about our brokenness with someone else that we'll connect with them. Our strengths might impress somebody, but our brokenness is what connects us. It's only through sharing a weakness that we can become intimate friends. Ladies, what a friend we have in Jesus. A close friendship with Jesus also teaches us to be gracious with people around us. True friendship takes sacrifice. Light, superficial friendship is easy. I like you, you make me laugh, let's hang out, right? That's easy, but that doesn't satisfy. And that's not what we were made for. True godly friendships are hard. They're hard because inevitably that person that you let in or that person that let you in will be inconsiderate one day. They'll be inflexible one day. They'll be blind to your needs one day. It'll happen. But if you have that friendship with Jesus, you'll learn the grace and the forgiveness to be able to navigate those disappointments. And you'll forgive them. Jesus's friendship gives us the freedom to become the friend you've always wanted for yourself to someone else. Ladies, what a friend we have in Jesus. So my question is this. Are you Jesus's friend? Have you responded to that invitation? He wants you to be that intimate friend. He's not looking for servants that'll obey him or be scared of him or that'll curb your behavior a certain way. True Christianity, we know this. It's not about obeying rules. It's about entering into a friendship with him. It'll change how you pray. It'll change um, the comfort you feel when you have trouble. Every burden that you bear will feel light because he's your friend. As he shares in your life, it changes how you see sin. You no longer want to 
hurt your best friend. Ladies, it's time. Jesus has called you friends. Will you step out and dive into a deep friendship with him? One where you're truly vulnerable and open with him. One where you, um, you know, I don't know why we do this, but I know I do. Sometimes I just want to ignore what I know he's saying because I feel embarrassed or I feel too vulnerable. But he knows. And he's that crown bestower. He's that faithful companion. He's that loyal wounder. He knows and he has everything to take me through whatever that situation is. Ladies, it's time to dive in, dive into that friendship relationship with Jesus. And I want to encourage you today to think about that inner circle and think about the people that are closest to you. Are they drawing you to the Lord? Are they detracting you from the Lord? Ladies, people around us, they need friends. Are you going to be a loyal friend to someone? Are you going to be the hands and feet of Jesus to draw people to him? Ladies, there's no more time. Time is running short. We are made for relationship. We're made for friendship. We're not made for isolation. And we're not made for superficiality. That's not what we're designed to do. That's not who we're designed to be. So I encourage you today, I encourage you, dive in with the Lord and find a friend that you can be that faithful friend to. Find a friend that you can share with. Again, it might be your husband. It might not. It might be your mom. It might be your sister. It might be a close friend of yours. But tend to your friendships. Tend to those relationships. Don't let the busyness of life take you away from what you are meant to be. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for friendship, Lord. Thank you so much that, Lord, you call us friends, Lord, and you want us in your inner circle, God. Thank you so much, Lord, that you are everything we need, but you also want to provide others around us, Lord, that we can reciprocate and pour into, Lord. So, Father, I pray for these ladies that came to this workshop today, Father, that they would just take with them a challenge today, Lord, to not isolate themselves, but on the contrary, Lord, that they would dive in, dive into a close relationship, Lord, and be vulnerable with someone, Lord, because that's how they are more like you, God. So, Lord, we love you so much, and we're so thankful for who you are and for everything you've done. Father, I pray now as, as we go back to the main um, room that you would just prepare our hearts for communion with you, Lord. Lord, as you desire that re friendship relationship, you want to bring us to those moments, Lord, where we can see you face to face. Lord, we love you. We're not worthy, Lord, but we're thankful that we can be your friends, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.